0: Um, the Romans, if nothing else, were very good at killing people and doing it in very cruel ways. Um, This was something, and you may have noticed this even in the way Luke records it and the other gospel writers do too, they don't elaborate on this. They just simply state what happened. This was not something that you talked about in polite company. A, A crucifixion. Um, it was an unspeakable thing. Somewhat common, I suppose. It was a public thing, but it was an unspeakable thing in its horror. Now, couple that with who it is that's being crucified. This unspeakable thing is being done to the sinless Son of God. Those two things just don't go together very well. But that's precisely what we see here, which then begs the question, why? Why is this happening? Why is that happening to him? And it was alluded to even in the prayer that we prayed together earlier and we first began the service together from that Valley of Vision prayer. It, It speaks to the enormity of our sin and the enormity of his love. Those two things together are the answer as to why that thing is happening to that man. The enormity of my sin and yours and the enormity of his love for you. That's why those things are, are happening in the way they are. Now, the implications of all of that, well, the, the gospel writers tell us mostly, I guess you could say, of the events. The, the, the writers, the authors of the letters as the New Testament unfolds tell us something of the significance and the implications Mostly, but actually we can see something of the significance and the implications even in the Gospels themselves. E- even in the way Jesus alludes to and predicts what it is that's coming. So, I would ask you to turn with me back in the, into uh, John's Gospel, to John 12, where Jesus predicts what it is that's, that's going to happen. Now, His disciples, they're not, they don't really have the, the ears to hear this. Um, so, they, they, you know, The sound waves enter their ears, but the words really don't into their hearts, into their minds. I want to read just uh, just a very few verses here in John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26, and something for us to consider tonight, the implications of Jesus' death uh, for us, for us as his followers. John chapter 12, starting in verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Well, can we pray just for a moment. Uh, Lord, thank you for this time that we could stop. uh, Stop in the midst of or at the end of this, this week and Whatever else has been going on, whatever else has been commanding our attention, we ask that this text, your words here, would command our, our minds and hearts' attention, that you would, and, and your call upon us, would command, indeed, our attention, um, that you would help us to hear um, even the hard words that are here. Uh, we thank you for this awesome awesome thing that we are reflecting on together here this evening. Uh, the text that we have already read, the songs that we have already sung, the prayers that we've already prayed together, we really could just dismiss at that point. But thinking further, uh, we ask for your mercy uh, to help us do that. Amen. So to set the stage, just real, real quickly, what's going on here in this text? This is Roughly midway through John's Gospel, it is a turning point. It's clear when you read this; it's, it's a turning point in Jesus' own mind in his ministry. When these Gentiles, these Greeks, come, uh, they you know don't come directly to him, but indirectly coming coming to him, they want to see him, they want to talk to him. Uh, like these, these are God fearing. Uh, Gentiles. They are not Jewish. They are are Greek. They are Gentiles. They are attracted to, we know this at least, Judaism in some way, and that was a common thing uh, at at the time for these God-fearers. That is to say, they were attracted to the the winsomeness of the simplicity of Judaism because instead of having all this multiplicity of all these gods, you've got one God, and there was something attractive uh, in that. Also, the morality of Judaism. Uh, at the time, there was an attractiveness for Gentiles just towards that because of all the immorality, of course, when you look at the uh, Greek and Roman pantheon of gods. Well, they're not just attracted to Judaism, of course. They're attracted somehow to Jesus. Now, we're not sure how. We're not sure why. Maybe because they've heard something about his turning of the tables in the court of the Gentiles and the news is filtered out. Hmm. Uh, on social media of the day, whatever that looked like at at the time. Anyway, they're there. They want to see Jesus. Jesus responds, and and he understands that now his hour has come. Up to this point, it has not come. Up to this point, he has tried to, to be somewhat under the radar, at least to some degree. But he recognizes that now things have reached a tipping point. Now that, if you will, the world wants to see him that the tension of things has boiled up to the point where now the world wants to see Jesus, he realizes now the hour has come. Now the hour has come for Him to be glorified. And in John's language, what that means is His death, His crucifixion and His rising, His resurrection has come. The moment, the time has come. The hour has come. Come. And so, because of that, he then tells this parable. One verse. One verse. Very simple, very straightforward. His readers, excuse me, his hearers, surely in an agrarian culture like that, grabbed on this right away. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much. Fruit. The idea is very simple here. If that seed is not planted, it will not reproduce. But if it is sown in the ground, it will bear much fruit. The precursor, the prerequisite is it has to die. It has to die. What Jesus is saying here is that life Comes through death, and that was the case for him, and that will be the case for those who follow him. And that's what he says here, very very plainly. Life comes through death. How is this the case for for him? Just just quickly, his his death. Well, that's going to mean physically, of course. We've looked at that all already, and a gruesome physical death it was. But spiritually, is being cut off, separated from the Father, and that then tells us why he viewed it the way that he He did. If you skip down just to verse uh, 27, you know, recognizing now the hour is upon him, we read, he says, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. It's a rhetorical question. He knows what has to happen. For this purpose I have come to this Hour. He he recognizes that this is a horrific thing. This is the one person, if there's one person who in in, the, in ever the history of the world who understands the gruesomeness, the horror of hell, it's Jesus, because he has lived in eternal fellowship with the Father, and so now he cannot begin to fathom what eternal separation from the Father will then mean. So of course his his soul is troubled. But it has to be this way. It has to be that his death has to be for our life. His substitutionary life and death, is, as we oftentimes say here, living the life that we should have lived. The substitution, dying the death we deserve to die, the substitution. It has to be this way. Again, verse. Uh, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now this is a scandalous idea, and it's why you see there... Later on, verse 34, uh, it's the, the, the crowd, they answer him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this? They don't get it. They don't get it. This is an offensive idea. It's pointed to, it's alluding to what Paul will say in 1 Corinthians, that this is a stu- the gospel, that Jesus' work, the, re- the necessity of Jesus' work for us is a stumbling block for the Jew and folly to the Greek. It's why he has to say what he does there in verse 24, truly, truly. That's, a, that's, that's like uh, the, the red flag. I'm trying to get your attention. There's what I'm about to say after those words, truly, truly, in that Jewish way of speaking, means pay attention. What's coming, you're not ready for, it, but you need to be. This, this, is, this is hard for the self-righteous to hear. Those who are depending on what they think they can do. And they think they can do more than Jesus has done for them already. Or we think that. This is hard for the self-sufficient to believe. Those who think they know better than Jesus has revealed already. Truly, truly, I say to you, you see, he has to die That we might then live. That's the implication for him. Now, here's the second part, the implication for us. Let me read this again. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You see, he has to die that we might live. Now, what he's saying as an extension of that is this. We have to die that others will live. You see? That's the implication of what Jesus is saying here. The, the, the implication, the application of that parable to us. Now, And what does this death look like? Our, our dying. He says that, that we are not to love our lives. Now, by that, he certainly doesn't mean we are to despise or, or abuse ourselves or any such foolishness of that. But he, in John's way of saying, and in Jesus' way of saying through John, he's saying you need to beware of delighting too much in the things of this world. You need to beware of, of your self-governed, your, living according to your self-interest and what you what you want, what you want. An egolatry, I guess you could say. Something like that. Because lest you, if you do, you will lose your life. And another way of just translating that is you will destroy your life. It's a very fair way of translating that. And by that, and he says also, that seed, by the way, if it doesn't get planted, it will remain, and this is a terrifying way to think about this, but this is what Jesus says in verse 24, it will remain alone. In the worst eternal, possible sense. In this life and forever, that seed will remain alone, solitary, cut off. Rather, ours is to, to hate our lives. That is to will, be willing to sacrifice our lives and go, to live for Him, serving others, loving others, loving Him. As an extension of loving Him, serving Him, we therein love and serve one another. And in so doing, we don't lose our lives, but rather we find ourselves, as he says, keeping it. Or another way of translating that is protecting it. And never then, and not to then be alone, but he tells us then, rather, there's this fruit that comes out of that. And as he says there in, in verse uh, 26, the eternal presence of the Son and the eternal honor of the Father. The fruit that he speaks of there is, as we die, others then live. Put it this way. So these Greeks, these Gentiles, come and they say, we want to see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus. How will others see Jesus in us? How, what would that look like? If he has to die... That we might live, that we have to die, that others might live. If others, in essence, are saying to us, we would see Jesus, how would that happen? Well, how, I would just say a few things there very quickly. Living according to his priorities, with his kingdom in mind, living according to the pattern. Of life that he has set out for us here, which of course would just be—I mean, even in any poor way, which of course it would always be—that would fill the watching world's eyes and minds with wonder. Oh my goodness, what is you are otherworldly? Well, yes, that—that's actually closer to the truth than you may realize. Um, and living according to his power, doing those things, the the, the priorities and pattern and pattern according and through his power, which then doesn't just fill the watching world, the Gentiles, the Greeks, our neighbors, our friends, our family who come saying, we would see Jesus, doesn't just fill them with wonder, but fills them with hope, because if they know us well enough, they can say this, you know, if he can do that in your life, my life, as fouled up as I know you are, there might be hope for me too, such change. Change. Such a revolution from the inside out. Verse 24 again. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Excuse me, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He is our sole hope. In the context in which Jesus is saying this, it would seem that um, we are holding forth hope as well. And again, this is a scandalous idea. It is is just, just what I said a moment ago regarding the necessity of Jesus dying for us that we might live. That's a scandalous idea. Again, the truly, truly applies to this part too. Truly, truly, we must die that others might live. That is just as offensive, just as hard for us to grapple with, just as hard for us to swallow. It's jarring. I mean, this world, this beautiful, beautiful world that we live in is filled with so many good things. So many, many, many good things. The comforts of life that, that are good. Our reputation, our, our relationships. All good things that we can love too much. Francis Schaeffer was fond of saying, the, the, the great gods of our age, the great gods of my heart and your heart are personal peace and affluence. Nothing wrong with any of those things in and of themselves. They're good things that we can love too much. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the earth and dies, you see, this is hard. It's like, it, it reminds me, I was thinking about this this afternoon. I can't remember when the last time was we had a solar eclipse, but I did a little math on this. I had to look this up. So, the sun is some 865,000 miles in diameter. Scientifically, that's big. A solar eclipse, in case you don't know this, it is when the, you have sun, big sun here, little moon here, we're on Earth here, we can't see sun because of moon. You following me here? We're here, moon's here, sun's there. Sun, 865,000 miles wide, little moon, 2,200 miles wide. I did the math. The moon is 400 times smaller than the sun. And yet, in a solar eclipse, for all practical purposes, you can't see the sun. Because it's been eclipsed by this little thing. Comparatively. You You get the idea? Now, you can also, here's what's really crazy. You can do a penny eclipse. I meant to bring one in here. You can take a penny. If you And don't do this. It'll hurt your eyes. But you can go out on a bright, sunny day and take that penny. And if you hold that little thing close enough to your eyes, you can't see that grand sun. All this is a, is a crazy, wild-haired way of simply saying we have eclipsed. I think so often we allow to be eclipsed so often the reality that not only has He to die that we might live, but we must die that others might live and the things that get in the way of that that we love too much in our dying. How do we do this? How do we be the grain that falls into the earth? How would we be people who would not love our lives so much? To see and to know that He has done that first for us. That's the only way. To see and to know that He has done that very thing first for us. Do you know He loves you? Do you know He has, I mean, your best in mind? You think you have your best in mind you have, a, at best, a very quali- I have, a very best, truncated, qualified, itty-bitty best in mind. He has the big best in mind. We want to keep our life. We think that we can preserve it and protect it. But really? He can. Far better than our fathoming, but far better than, than our imagining. And how do we know that? Because of the cross. The measure of His love for us. The very thing we're looking at here this evening. We can see that love. We can see His ability, His determination to keep us and keep us to the end. Well, we have another song to sing in response to this and I think it is a very apt one. Um, What wondrous love is this? So, let's stand together.